Welcome to the Sobre Mesa podcast with me, your host, Alan Maguire. This is the second part of my interview with Vincente, where we move on to the topic of the rise of Vox and Spanish nationalism. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so my first question to you regarding Vox is actually related, I think it was in New York, um, was Pedro Sanchez was talking at, I think it was a UN conference, and he was sort of, he had just overthrown, uh, well, overthrown, but uh, passed the motion of no confidence in Rajoy. Uh, this was before the Andalusia elections, I think. Um and, and Sanchez was talking about we don't have like the span what they used to call the Spanish exception, which is no longer the exception because they have the far right in Spain now. Um, but my, my question to you regarding the rise of Vox was, did really no one see it coming? Because I've interviewed quite a few people now, not on Vox, but on different areas. And quite a lot of them have said the similar sort of thing that, no, we didn't really see Vox coming. Um, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet or anything, but I I had visited Andalusia, spent a lot of time with family and stuff there, and I sort of wasn't surprised. Um, I don't know if that's me blowing my own trumpet or something, but I, I wasn't surprised that Vox won. And, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks after Vox one, I remember seeing, I can't remember what the headline was, and it was like, are we allowed to call Vox Nancys? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it really did take the country, I think, by a lot of people in the country by surprise. Um, so you've written about this quite a bit in, um, for, I think it was the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a bit about that time and, and uh, what your opinion is on, um, did people see it coming or should they have seen it coming? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think that, in a way, it relates to this so-called yeah Spanish exception regarding the the existence of or the presence of a far right, a big far right party in the the national political scene. In the sense that it was true in a way, but it was always also false at the same time. In the sense that uh-huh. there was always something paradoxical about that exception. That, in the sense that. Obviously, yeah, we didn't have, uh, we never had, let's say, throughout the democracy since 78 until now, a strong far-right party, like similar to, let's say, the Lega in Italy or or Uh the Front National in France, etc. But at the same time, our conventional, like, uh, conservative party was to Uh the right, of many of the, its uh, European counterparts, right? right. It's like uh, the PP is basically is, is, has been always more conservative or even reactionary than, let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, the French uh, Gaullist uh, right wing or or other or the Christian Democratic uh, right in in Germany, etc. Uh-huh. Right. Because, of course, then the, the heritage and the connection to the Franco dictatorship, because, of uh-huh. course, it's like, uh, well, uh, there are like many continuities between how, well, Alianza Popular, the first version of Partido Popular, was founded by Fraga, which used to be a, a minister of, of the Franco government, and many uh-huh. 
many Francoist uh, cadre and, and people uh, well, went into this, uh, the creation of Alianza Popular. And he was governor. He was a uh, president of Galicia for like exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then exactly. Decades, then he, yeah. he went to Galicia and then he ruled there for yeah for decades. And so that's one thing. At the same time, it's true that yeah, the emergence of Vox was a shock because well, it's true that Vox actually started long before. I think they were active already in the I don't know the general elections. There has, there has been so many elections that actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, lost, yeah, yeah. I lost count. But um, yeah, I remember, I mean, the first time they, they launched, it was with a former PP politician, Aleix Vidal Cuadras, a uh -huh. PP politician. Uh -huh. But it was, I think it was, yeah, for the European elections. I don't know if it was the same European election when Podemos started. Uh -huh. Probably, and then yeah. it, it got maybe like, I don't know, 100,000 votes or something like that, which is, not, I mean, they didn't gain any any seat in mm. the European Parliament or anything. The thing is that, yeah, what I want to, to say is that it's true, it was a shock. And the thing, how these two points are connected, the, the, in the sense that maybe, I think many people could sense, as you said, that there were like a polarization going on and there mm. was like a radicalization in society going on. Mm. And I think that probably, I mean, I, I don't actually live in Spain, but I mean, through families or when I go there uh -huh. in the summer, I could see and also the media landscape, how things are talked about and discussed about, you could see that the change in political climate going on. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I guess that maybe we all in a way trust that uh, well the pepe is there and then all these people are going to still be within the pepe so it's not going to be something that really breaks the the whole landscape uh -huh. but then but then it's true that box managed managed to to become that force capable of, of breaking that landscape in a way i think for me the one of the key well there are two or three factors that explain how uh, box emerges or how this radicalization first it was just like a more like vague diffuse social radicalization of people mm -hmm. to the right but then box appear there so to say and then it's just like okay then yeah if you are uh, mad about all these things just vote for me i'm, I'm your your reference not the yeah. okay anymore right uh -huh. and among these factors i think one is one very key is Catalonia, yeah. I think, in the sense that how all the situation in Catalonia and the referendum um, yeah, polarized a lot of people in the rest of Spain. And whether we like it or not, I think it's important to take into account in order to really analyze the phenomenon is that what I noticed those months around yeah, October 2017 with the referendum is that it's true that there is a certain nationalist and conscious in Spain. Yeah. Uh, that is very transversal in a way. And uh -huh. this is, uh, very difficult to say or very sad to say, but it's true that you could see that even people kind of progressive in many instances mm. could, could really turn uh, 
very very mad and very very angry yeah, about yeah. the Catalonia situation. Uh-huh. And I think that that opened a whole space that then uh, redefined in a way uh, some parameters of, of the discussion. Yeah. That's one thing. The second thing would be the the rise of feminism, and then again, so then that you have like all these men, uh, mostly men. I mean, but also women, of course. It's not about like uh, men or women, but uh, male supremacy is a is a structural thing, right? Mm. Um, that also, well, the the rise of feminism, which has been a historic uh, wave of of feminism, of course, all over the world, but also in Spain. And I think that, of course, there was like a huge reaction there uh, against feminism, right? Yeah. That also helps explain that. And then a third factor that I would highlight is um, maybe because of the crisis or many other things and all this instability or what people perceive as a very uncertain situation. I think it's... Uh, important to take into account this reemergence of nostalgic uh, um, ideas about Spanish history, and, and this is more like a cultural phenomenon. Mm. I, again, what I'm describing now is these three factors that are like sort of social diffuse, yeah. and they they hadn't they didn't necessarily to go into a party like Vox, but then they did, okay, but because uh-huh. Vox appeared there at the right time. Yeah. But they were already there in the landscape. And and this third factor about the Spanish history in the sense that, well, I think it's, yeah, it's something that happens a lot and will, will you have, um, I think the situation of Spain since the 2008 crisis has changed a lot. I think there has been, we used to think of ourselves as part of the, uh, on the first league of, of, of the economic powers of the world at some point, or part of the European Union. And then uh-huh. we, we could even, I remember, I don't know, uh, with Aznar and with Zapatero also, like if we want to belong to the G8 even, there were like these mm. kind of discussions going on. Yeah. So there was like this kind of very uh, triumphalistic uh view of, of mm. the country and this whole, all has fallen apart in the crisis and in a way yeah. I think that for a certain period of time maybe people will, was thinking that um, well this is just temporary and then we will go back to where we belong in, in quotes uh-huh. but actually maybe people are realizing that that's not the case anymore and mm. I think that I, I don't know but in my opinion we never recover from the 2008 crisis mm. And in a way, when this situation becomes more uh, more uh, stagnant, right? Well, uh, it keeps being like that. Well, it creates a sort of inferiority complex. I think that then needs to be overcome or compensated by this recourse to to nostalgia, to uh, imperialistic nostalgia, uh-huh. or, or this interest in the past. And I think that just to highlight one very clear example of this. Is the this bestseller historical book uh, bestseller, which is Imperiophobia, by uh, mm-hmm. a Spanish philologist uh, Maria Elvira Roca Barea, which basically encapsulates that. It's mm-hmm. a kind of it's a kind of it's a, has been a huge bestseller. I don't know hundreds of thousands of copies. Wow. 
And it's like uh, basically this revisionist view of, of, well, how of the Spanish empire from the 15th and 16th centuries, a justification of the, the need for empires in history, uh, a delirious one, I think, I mean, but it is like, that's yeah. what, what the book says. And also, uh, well, and it's basically a book about the black legend, right? How the black legend, uh, distorts our perception of, of the the past of the of the Spanish Empire, but it's uh -huh. basically yeah a nostalgic book, a, a revisionist book, a very bad book actually also in right. history, <laughs> historic, historiographical terms, in the sense that I don't know she even like kind of like creates quotes uh, out of the out of nothing or misquotes mm. many things, uses the materials in very uh, doubtful ways yeah. so this kind of thing but i think it's also an interesting phenomenon just to take into account because that was also going on and it was part of the landscape and again then box was there already but i think that they managed to position themselves in a way that it's mm. true that they they were able to to well to capitalize all this discontent in mm. a certain way and not just like going all those people going back to pepe which is what yeah. maybe we all were unco unconsciously expecting, and then uh -huh. that expectation that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember their um, their their campaign for Andalusia actually, and it plays a lot on nostalgia. You know, you've got Santiago Abascal riding on a horse uh, with no saddle, no helmet, through the dust plains of I think Almeria, saying we're gonna re you know, reconquer Spain, the 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 exactly. reconquest, and and I mean, obviously, the discontent with the, as you said, from the two thousand and eight crisis, but also the corruption of the Pessoa and, and Andalusia was, you know, on terms on le on levels with the PP. I think in mm -hmm. terms of regional uh, things, but the nostalgia thing is quite interesting, and it sort of ties in with the other thing that I think is fascinating that you mentioned because it's something I've noticed is the the nationalism but the unconscious nationalism uh, and it was really fascinating because I lived in London with my wife who's Spanish um, for two years before moving to Spain and it was around uh, sort of 2014 2015 and all of my friends in London were Spanish because Spanish people generally were hanging out more because they had all moved abroad um, and I came into contact with lots of people because some of the friends that I made that were Spanish were single and they made lots of all the so I met this huge group of Spaniards and there was still this sort of even though that they had moved abroad for their, their position and the country was like internal there was still this sort of like Spanish um like nationalism there and it's not that they should have been ashamed or something stupid like that I don't mean it like that but it was sort of like yeah we've got the best police force in the world because they fought ETA I remember someone said to me once mm -hmm. and I was like well the American police force dealt with the you know deal with things on a basic daily basis that I'm sure police forces throughout Europe don't deal with um, but it was really like this sort of unconscious nationalism. With the coronavirus, you've got everybody, even um, 
people that were, you know, their ancestors would have been the victims of Spanish colonialism. You know, you've got these sort of South American immigrants with the Spanish flag on their masks. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and, you know, Vox were the ones that started that trend with the, with the flag on the mask. And then Pedro Sancho started wearing one. And now it's sort of like every you walk past the old ladies in the street with them on um where do you think though that this um nationalism and nostalgia has sort of come from again um Mm -hmm. or or, i'm not so i mean we sort of touched on it being coming from 2008 and you know spain being quite this big nation at the time you know the 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 housing boom and and you know talking about being a member of g8 and all those things and then the crisis hit quite hard but why has this sort of nationalism come up again? And uh, I mean, can can we really see it going anywhere? Do you think, or you know, is this only benefiting Vox, or is this sort of uh, can this benefit? I don't know, maybe some sort of project on the left as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite an interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there there's a lot of things there, but for example. Um, First, yeah, it's something that I wanted to mention in the previous answer, but uh-huh. uh, that, for example, you might remember that, for example, when the Catalonian referendum was going on, there was always this, first there were like the independentist uh, Catalan flags in the balcony yeah. and windows in Barcelona, uh-huh. but then in the rest of Spain, there were like this reaction, which was putting the, the Spanish flag in the in the balconies and windows. Right? Yeah, yeah. And Andal- exactly. people in Andalusia shouting at the police, go get them, go get exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A por ellos, et cetera. Uh-huh. These kind of things. And which, I mean, someone, I think it was Guillermo Fernandez, a, a political analyst, said that uh, this, were, this is the La España de los Balcones, right? The, the Spain of the balconies, right? Yeah. In, in the sense that, and I think that's a very descriptive, in a way it was, yeah, I think what Guillermo Fernandez was saying, it was a sort of right-wing 15M, right? Uh, right? Right wing May 15, in the sense that wow. then there was like huge explosion that actually, kind of like destabilized uh, the, the political landscape and how uh-huh. people were voting, etc. Uh-huh. And that's why then Vox came came up as this new alternative instead of mm. just like going back to Pepe as, as always. Yeah. Then, but I think it's interesting the connection with, for example, the Aporellos, right? What the people were shouting there in Andalusia, which as you know, it's, yeah, go get them, a por ellos. Uh-huh. It's what uh, not so many years ago it was uh, used in the football stadiums to to shout for, um, to support the, the Spanish national team, right? Right, was, oh, really? Oh, okay. There, there, there was even a, a song, it was, yeah, a por ellos, o EOE, whatever, right? Okay. In, I, I don't know, it was the 2000. 12 World Cup, I don't yeah, know, the one, yeah. the, one, the one that Spanish Spain won, uh, uh-huh. South Africa, um, or 2010, yeah, I think, I don't know, uh, but um, what I, I want to connect these two things because, I mean, there, there is a, just to give you a, a reference and also for the listeners, there is this really great book by Luis Elena Delgado, She's a professor in uh, here in the United States, 
she's a specialist in, in Spanish nationalism and many other things. And it's called La Nación Singular. It's a book from a few years ago. Uh -huh. And she talks about, well, the, these different evolutions of, of the Spanish nationalism throughout democracy. It, it was written before Vox, okay, but oh, okay. It, it gives uh, like an overview of different ways in which nationalism was modulating uh, mm. in different ways throughout the, the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s, etc. For example, through the Spanish national team and all this, uh, the football national team mm. and another, another aspect. And in the sense that, yeah, where does this unconscious nationalism come from? I mean, it's difficult to explain, but in a way, yeah, it's true. I mean, that the changes that, yeah, a few years ago, yeah, we had like these apoyos and all this, for example, when Spain won the national, uh, sorry, the, the World Cup, the football uh -huh. World Cup, there was like this kind of like triumphalist uh, air going on. Uh -huh. At the same time, I think it was in a way pretty naive, but I don't know, it was very shocking to see, yeah, like this same, shant being used then in, in a very like aggressive context with the mm. police going to Catalonia etc mm. and I think that um, in a way I think probably the best way to explain it is that well even if the Spanish democracy has already like more than 40 years um, we had previously 40 years of of uh, Franco dictatorship. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And in a way, I think, I mean, 40 years is very long. I think, I mean, as you know, Franco, the Franco dictatorship is one of the longest ones, I think, in history. I think yeah. 40 years of a dictatorship is, it, it really has to let very deep marks in, in a society uh -huh. at, at many different levels, obviously because of the repression and because of, of many things and also all the trauma of the of the civil war and then also the immediate post-war with all the repression uh -huh. and all the silence that it's still there and the the inability to just like recover the bodies of people that were disappeared all those years etc and at a more let, let's say ideological level i think that francoism managed to uh, I think I mentioned this in the report, but the, the, there is this very famous quote by Franco, um, which uh, I, I always found fascinating, right? That he once uh, he answered to a German uh, journalist, I think, well, you should do as, as I do. Don't, don't get mixed up in politics, right? Or something like right. that. <laughs> like, no, no, no se meta en política, no? Right? Yeah. Which is fascinating in a way because Francoism managed, because it was in power so many years, to become a sort of, I don't know, apparently not ideological force somehow. Mm, yeah. And I think that that must have um, permeated, I think, to, for, to many, especially older people, uh, in many different ways, in the sense that there are maybe people that feel, of course, that they, they don't feel nostalgic about Franco and they don't want Franco and they are not fascist uh, mm. in immediate terms or in social terms or in many ideological terms. But then there are certain elements of uh, nationalist ideology that are there. And one of them, of course, is the unity, the sacrosanct unity of Spain. Mm. It's basically that any challenge to that 
is so immediately perceived as a as a well as a threat. As a yeah, whether threat it's inside or outside. Exactly, and in in a very like existential way, in a very like uh -huh. I don't know radical, radical way. It's not something that sometimes. Um, I mean, in at the level of, of the street or everyday people, regular people, that you sometimes you cannot even like articulate, let's say, yeah. in, in rational terms. It's just like something that gives a reaction, and and then there is a, a, the need to to respond to that and to mm. react to that, and to if possible eliminate that possibility. Uh, absolutely right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that there's that element going on. And for many years, I think when uh, Spain was going okay, as Aznar said, right, España va bien, he said many years ago, maybe this was, this nationalism was uh, taking this form as when historians said this banal uh, nationalism, right, in the, in the sense of taking very innocent forms, like the, the yeah. football team or these kind of things, or a certain like very vague, diffuse, uh, being proud of your country, but uh -huh. without much uh, more uh, consequences. But then I think, yeah, when the crisis started, as I was saying, then I think that the, the whole self-perception of the country changes yeah. uh, radically. And then I think that there is this need for, again, well, uh, resorting to this kind of elements of, uh, to just like reassure that, well, we are still a, uh, uh, an important country, or or at least we used to be, or we have been this very important country in history. Uh huh. And uh, I suppose that's sort of it's kind of interesting when you connect that to you. You say, and I think that's a brilliant comparison. The the right wing fifteen M, or like the the nationalist fifteen M, I suppose, because. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because I suppose in the, the original 15M, you had, it was all left-wing groups, mostly. And they were sort of not big on the on the national question. Um, not in the same sense that, that Vox were. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, it's sort of turned inwards, this, I see what you mean, it's turned inwards, this sort of patriot feeling and sort of... Um, sort of sort of gone inwards and and is, is being attacked i suppose like you said by by uh feminism but also like territorial questions which is quite a big thing um and a lot of people have said and uh I've, I've someone said it to me in another interview uh caroline gray she says it in her book um about that catalonia was the was like this shield for people to finally vote for Vox like they've been voting PP their whole lives and then oh Catalonia happened boom this is the mo this like I think I can't remember she she she, she quotes someone else in her book um but they called it um like a, a shield of of, of of like a dignity like shield like a you know this allows me to vote for this party I don't agree with everything they're saying but they're sticking up for me and I'm a Spaniard. Um, and, you know, that sort of um, thing. And since then, since their rise on sort of the, the Catalan, uh, or oh, the anti-Catalan sentiment wave, they've sort of been really just, it's, it's um, 
most of Vox's politics has been around cultural things. Uh, I don't just mean, I mean like cultural questions, like not just nationalism, but anti-feminism, anti-LGBT, uh, also, you know, these sorts of uh, things. But they also had this very odd rhetoric of, um, you know, we're going to, the, the social caste as well, which, you know, the, the, the populist part of them comes out, you know, the, it's very similar to the language of Podemos when it first started, just mm -hmm. a lot more, you know, on the right wing side. Um, but can you talk a bit about their politics and how is this, how, how does this go back in the history of the, the Spanish, right? You know, like their cultural politics and their politics that they, they, after their rise upon Catalonia, their politics after that, how has that sort of um, gone for Vox? I mean, in, in a way, I think Vox, uh, yeah, it's part of this whole uh, far right wave all over the world, right? With Trump, with Bolsonaro, and uh -huh. it has many common elements. In, and in a sense, we need to understand it. Um, also, what's new in there, right? And yeah. Well, I think you pointed out that uh, even if, of course, they have economic proposals, etc. I think that, uh, and I was mentioning this just two days ago in another conversation, um, how this new right is not that you they are using these cultural wars as an instrument to, let's say, make up for uh, or to hide the economic policies and com compensate with a sort of cultural wars, discourse, mm. etc to let's say, I don't know, uh, reach out to working class voters or many other things. It's actually that as Richard Seymour, uh, uh, well, a uh, British uh, author, right? Uh, uh -huh. He talks about like there is right now a, an anti-communism without communism going on. Yeah. Like, for example, yeah. in, Bo in Bolsonaro and others. And in a sense that it's like as if um, these new far-right parties or reactionary parties, they basically believe these cultural wars, believe uh, like it's not an instrument anymore, but it's actually their their uh, raison d'être, right? Their, their, yeah. their, their reason for being, right? Uh -huh. um, and in a way, I don't know, um, I think one can understand there are like lots of precedents uh, and in the Rosa Luxemburg report, I think I mentioned some of them. Uh, like, of course you can build like a whole genealogy of how Vox uh, started, etc. I think that actually initially started when I, what I was mentioning earlier uh, with Alice Vidal Cuadras, this Catalan politician, it was a kind of like pretty conventional split from a, let's say, yeah, especially conservative or reactionary yeah. section of, of the PP, mm -hmm. but nothing else. It's just like, well, maybe a little bit more polarized because of the Catalan situation, basically. Yeah. But, uh, but then it's just with the new moment of the far right all over the world, I think that, and the specific factors that I mentioned in Spain, uh -huh. then, yeah, it became what uh, Vox became finally. But this has been an evolution that has been going on for many years. And I think that yeah, one has to understand, and this is a, an important thing that I always like to say about Vox, that 
because of the of the shadow of of, of uh, Franco's dictatorship and the way in which the transition was built in Spain, etc. I mean, there are like other far right European uh, parties. You can understand them maybe as some, something coming out of the political system in a way. So it's mm. like coming out from the margins to the center yeah. and maybe gaining space, let's say like the Front National uh -huh. or, or other forces like that. But here, yeah, one has to understand to what degree Vox is part of the, is a derivation of the political system itself. In the sense uh -huh. that, of course, it, it originated from sectors from the popular party. Mm. And in a way, it's gene genealogy, well, it connects with, for example, well, developments in the media landscape, I think, going on from the, let's say, around 2003, 2004, I think there was like this emergence of new media, like uh, radio stations and uh, Libertad Digital, which was the first right. important yeah. newspaper of the right with Pedrico Jiménez de los Santos, a very famous broadcaster, uh -huh. uh, which I think has been the voice for the more extreme sectors of the right for many many years and i think that's a, an important and again it's for example a broadcaster that always gave lots of space he has written many books he has given lots of space also to all kinds of revisionist histories of spain right also, yeah like cesar vidal i think Piomoa. i think there are like figures that now are not so visible anymore but they were huge bestseller also again in writing about history uh, -huh. uh so that's part of the landscape another part of the landscape is for example the figure of esperanza aguirre who right. was a very important figure in the popular party especially uh -huh. in madrid right she was uh, president of the madrid community yeah for, for yeah years. and she has been and here also just to throw in another reference a book that i really recommend it's a book published by Traficantes de Sueños, it's called Spanish uh, Neocon. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, which uh, is an analysis, it's by, by Beatriz Garcia and Pablo Carmona and, and another person, sorry, I can't remember the name. Um, and basically, it's an, an analysis of the Madrid uh, PP of around 2006, 7, 8, something like that, with Esperanza Aguirre. But how Esperanza Aguirre is key to understand how basically she she was inspired by the US, right? And the neocons. Uh -huh. And then she kind of translated those tactics and discourses and, and ideas about cultural wars, etc., to the Spanish context. And she's uh -huh. she's truly a um, fascinating figure in a way. I mean, because yeah. I mean I I loathe her, but, <laughs> but but it's true that one has to acknowledge sometimes I don't know the the stature of the, yeah. the enemy in a way, because she was really really clever in translating all those things, and that's why also the Madrid Pepe is also a very special case of how they govern the city and the community, and how it has been a, a truly like neoliberal laboratory for many years, Madrid. Yeah. Right? And the thing is that, um, so yeah, that's also part of the genealogy of, of Vox. Like, for example, and just to give a, a very bio, tiny biographical detail, but uh, Santiago Abascal, 
Fox's uh, leader, uh, she was a, he was a protege of, of uh, Esperanza Aguirre mm. at the beginning of, of his political career in PP. And well, so then there, there is all, all these elements. So I don't know if this helps to, to understand a little bit yeah. like the evolution. But again, it's true that then it comes a crisis, then the May 15 movement, then the changing political landscape with Podemos, with the municipalist conferences also. So then I, I guess that the right, uh, right-wing people in general, right-wing voters, in a way also, I think everyone could acknowledge that Pepe was, an, or is, but a very corrupt party. So then yeah. I think that there was like, like a certain degree of discontent is, is like, okay, even if I'm right-wing and I've been a Pepe voter for all my life, I cannot vote these guys anymore. But I don't mm. have an alternative, right? First of all, there was Ciudadanos, but then Ciudadanos maybe was not convincing for many people. Mm. But then, uh, yeah. Um, so then Vox, along with all these factors that I've been mentioning, appear also as an alternative that, well, yeah, I, I, I want to, I also am aware of the corruption of the PP. I also consider that they are not uh, right-wing enough, if that's possible, but well, we've uh, seen that it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then, well, here comes Vox, which basically is more radical in many instances, like yeah, nationalism and territorial unity, etc. And then also at the same time, they present themselves as a sort of more like, um, it's not that they are working class actually, but yeah, they are, they have like this discourse for example, one of these slogans is La España que madruga, right? Uh, this, the Spain that wakes up early to go to work, etc. So it's like they have like maybe a more like honest, uh, yeah, we are honest people that work mm. every morning and and not these corrupt uh, politicians, uh, career politicians of, of the PP. Although Abascal is totally a career politician. I mean, he has yeah, yeah. outside of politics in his life. But this kind of discourse, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Um, and what do you make of the, um, as this is like moving on now from the birth of Vox to to their sort of first couple of years in the in the in the right wing landscape, because I mean they're going for votes. You know they're not getting Podemos, and well they might get some first time voters. They might have voted Podemos, and then they've swung to the far right. And I mean that's been I've read quite a few places that's happened. But generally they're going for PP voters, disenfranchised PP voters, um, people on the right. And there's been like this, um, you know, the over the last, I think, is it the last four years we've had four elections or something like that? 2020 was the only year without election. Mm -hmm. um, but um, during this time, the, you had the PP going more to the right. So Rajoy stood down. You've got uh, Pablo Casado taking over the leadership. You also got uh, Alberto Rivera on his last legs in Ciudadanos before he leaves, and he was very much going to the right. They were they were governing together in in Andalusia, first right government ever since uh, the transition. So, what do you make of the Vox's um, entrance to the scene, and and how has it sort of played out from there? Well, 
Um, well, I think, for example, when they appear like in the Andalusian elections uh, that time, first, I, I mean, it was a big surprise because it, exactly it's like they, they uh, neglected uh, very usual like dictums about uh, how elections work. Right, it's like, uh, for example, if if the vote of the of a political field, like the right wing field in this case, is divided, then this is going to be worse for the right wing. Uh -huh. In the end, they showed that basically the, it benefited the three parties of the right because they could build a coalition with votes that maybe probably the Vox vote would have gone to to abstention or or etc. Mm, so in a way, yeah. it, it it was a way to recover that vote that was going to be lost and then put it to use in order to build this coalition government in, yeah. in Andalusia. And I think uh, mutatis mutandis, as we say in, in Spain, uh, changing many things, but uh, at the national level, there is something similar in the sense that I think, and again, this is also why Vox is not like this kind of marginal party, but it's very close to the political system itself. There has been lots of speculation, but I think it's it's uh, demonstrated. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's been checked that um, certain sectors of well close people close to Aznar and other and the more like uh, reactionary sectors of the PP were okay with Vox in the sense that, well, Vox was a, a very interesting tool to uh, make a sort of realignment or favorable, favorable realignment to the right in general. And in a way, maybe not to, it was not necessary or not necessarily to, for Vox to become the first force in the right, but just as a sort of, um, to stimulate Pepe also in a certain di direction. And in uh -huh. a way then, I don't know, build a new environment or a new landscape that then could coalesce into, uh, well, maybe repeating what happened in, in Andalusia, but at the national level. Uh -huh. That was also all the tensions when you remember, right? Even one year ago when there were all these parliamentary discussions about the the inauguration, uh, the, how to build a majority for Pedro Sánchez, right? Yeah. Almost, all these tensions. So, I don't know, I think uh, in a way, I think Vox, yeah, can be understood as this kind of catalyst for, yeah. for the right. Yeah. yeah. So, it has reactivated certain sectors and then uh, I think that what many people was expecting is a sort of collaboration between Pepe and Vox that uh, enables them to to get into 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 power and i think that was evident also in for example that famous demonstration with the flag and how yeah. the three leaders of the right there were and also mm. other leaders from other smaller parties were there also mm. in in the plaza de colon right yeah and so in a way yeah it's true it's, it was a, a tool to yeah, polarize in a certain direction and also it did have effects on Ciudadanos, which actually Ciudadanos was trying to present themselves as this more cosmopolitan, mm. purely neoliberal force. Mm. But then again, 
is as we joke with many friends in the left, it's like, uh, I mean, uh, it would be great to have a true liberal party in, a, in the European sense in Spain. But even when the so-called liberals, cosmopolitan liberals like Ciudadanos, then sooner or later they are going to join forces with the reactionary yeah. right again. So it's like yeah. they, they, and that's what they did. So then again, both show uh, itself capable to polarize uh, everything in, in this way. Something that I forgot in, in the previous question about this issue about Pops being not this marginal, extraordinary thing. I've mentioned because of, yeah, it comes from Pepe, from the political system itself, mm. etc. But also I think another thing that is for me truly important to remark, to, to highlight about Vox is that, and it connects in a way also with this more like vague, diffuse, uh, unconscious nationalism or other mm. or like cultural ideological currents going on, but also how they have lots of support in different parts of the state apparatuses, right? It's like, for mm -hmm. example, the, the support they have, obviously one can, it's easy to imagine in the army forces mm. or in the police, of course, but also then in the judicial power, right? In the, uh, among judges or magistrates or, or different bodies of, of the judicial power. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting in the sense that uh, one can also understand Vox as a certain um, answer by many layers of the of the state. Even uh, mm -hmm. well, it, also again in a situation of uncertainty or that they experience as a threat, like for example, this emergence of new left wing parties and that maybe yeah, Podemos could be in the government, so that's already like a sort of existential threat yeah. for them. Then there is like this, I don't know how to put it, um, yeah, in Spanish we say yeah, repliegue, right? It's like this uh, yeah, like inward move uh, yeah, yeah. To, res to resist, right? And uh, I, But I think it's significant also how you can see the support that very extremist position has in the in the yeah, different judicial bodies or different mm. apparatuses of the state and i think that's that's also very very relevant in the sense that again it's not so much that box i don't see box as a yeah this group of whatever people coming from whatever party organizing yeah. and then just like they happen to be successful. It's also like a sort of maneuver uh, uh -huh. from different parts of the of the state apparatus. I don't want to put this as a. It's not like a conspiracy theory. No, or no, I know what you mean. No. But, but, but but it's just politics in the sense of this like yeah correlation of forces and then uh -huh, how uh -huh. different sectors of the state, the the, the more conservative sectors yeah. of the state, they feel uh, compelled to. To well to to take this more like a, mm. a resistance uh, uh, a approach to when they they feel threatened by yeah. uh, and and many fronts yeah. and just to add to that I've read quite a few places as well a lot of it comes from like uh, Rajoy's reluctance to do anything I mean he got a huge majority in um, two thousand and eleven. Well, he got a majority, which is quite rare in Spanish politics. 
and a lot on the like the neocon side that you were talking about earlier, like the Esperanza Gire, Afnar, they weren't happy that he didn't, um, you know, he didn't uh, do enough with his majority. You know, he didn't turn back the time on on any of Zapatero's reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's probably like a symptom, Vox is a symptom, isn't it, of the unhappiness in the conservative family of the PP the and the conservatives in the state and and those probably like those far right dissident politics that never really got a look in before um mm-hmm. before the well before the Catalonia referendum mm-hmm. really. No, it's true and just to remember like just two details, but I remember like many years ago, I can remember I'm sorry if it was before Rajoy was in the government. Uh, I, I probably it was yeah before Rajoy was in the government in 2011. Esperanza Aguirre and Aznar basically orchestrated an almost a coup d'état uh, against wow. uh, against Rajoy uh, for the leadership in PP, right? But right. that that didn't work out. And then another detail that in recent years, the last three four years, FAES, which is the Fundación para el Análisis y los Estudios Sociales is basically, it used to be the, the PP think tank, right? uh-huh. a foundation. It, it, uh, it separated from the party formally. Mm. So it right, become okay. a, a more like independent. And basically uh-huh. it's controlled by, by Aznar and well, uh, Cayetana, um, oh, yeah. Cayetana uh, Álvarez, which is basically yeah. Yeah, the, the hair of Esperanza Aguirre in many ways. Right, really. Uh, okay. In she's a way, yeah, it's sort of like uh, it's also a very interesting figure in. in yeah, she's her, very her interesting. Own, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's true that yeah, she 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 used to lead uh, FAES for many years, and then uh-huh. uh, she used to be also a protege of of Aznar, and that's why also she represents this more reactionary sector of PP interested in collaborating with Vox or in yeah. polarizing in, along with Vox uh-huh. towards like uh, many other yeah in, in the political yeah. yeah I've never really understood um Paulo Casado because he seems quite like a weak figure uh, as a leader because I thought he was related a bit more with Afnad and then he's had like a quite a he had quite a lot of um, of very public uh, disagreements with Cayetana Toledo Alvarez. Um, and he removed her as the spokesperson recently. And then that was around the time that he replaced uh, some key people in his, in his organization as a party with more moderate, well, what you might call moderate conservative voices. Uh, I would say, well, not no, not not so much more moderate, but less impressive, like less threatening um, politicians. And uh, famously, a couple of uh, months ago now, in the Vox motion of no confidence, he's turned his back on Vox, essentially saying, "We're not voting with you for this motion of no confidence." And is this? Um, is this the end of Vox, or like, is this a big? This is a big thing in in Vox's timeline. That you know the PP um, in publicly denouncing them and sort of making themselves look try to look more moderate. 
you know, where, what, how do you see this sort of, this little drama that happened in November? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to know. First of all, it's true that yeah, Casado, I think it's, in a way, I think it's a very weak figure, a very like kind of empty figure in the sense uh-huh. that, uh, and in a way, I mean, uh, not to be like malicious, but in a way it's a very, it's very representative of the politics of the moment. Like for example, I, I do see, for example, I tend to see Sanchez in a, in a similar light. Yeah, so, yeah. Very, very empty figures, very opportunistic figures. I uh-huh. think that Casado, I think, at least that's my impression. It's true that I think he came more like from the Aznar sector. But then I think that once he got the leadership, well, then he realized that maybe they, he needed to go in a more moderate, with lots of quotes, yeah. uh, way. But yeah, somehow, yeah, there are like these tensions going on. And definitely, I mean, I, I totally agree, I think, with your, what you're, you have described. Uh, maybe, I mean, everything is very difficult because everything is is mediated by the coronavirus. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then it's like, I don't know, I have, but this is purely a very like impression, like very provisional, very tentative, superficial. But, um, and maybe also because it's just my hope, but it's like, uh, for example, when with the defeat of Trump, for example, I hope that this is, Going, the general atmosphere in many places is going to change a little bit. It's not yeah. that I'm especially optimistic or anything like that. Uh, I think that actually the material reasons and the deep reasons for the far-right emergence are, are still there. Uh-huh. So, but uh, Trump's defeat is just like a temporary defeat. Yeah. But it's true that I hope that it can affect somehow, for example, in, in the case of Spain also, like just to, I don't know, uh, stop a little bit the 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 winds that have been favoring Vox yeah. in a way. At the same time, I do think that yeah, for example, Ancasado is a good example of this. There has been all these months this back and forth, like with this like purely contrarian attitude towards the government. It's like basically yeah, if they take one measure against the virus, then. They say they, they need to do the opposite and then they, yeah. they do the opposite and they yeah, yeah. another. It's been like all this back and forth going on. And I think that maybe, I don't know, Casado has been realizing that that's a sort of cool de sac. And then he needs to, I don't know, take a more constructive or cooperative approach in uh-huh. a way. And maybe, I don't know, um, also I think that, yeah, maybe in box they are also realizing that uh, well for example i don't know uh, again maybe i'm too optimistic but for example all these things that have been going on with the for example the demonstrations in the barrio de salamanca against yeah, the, yeah. Uh, all these kind of things, which are like very trumpian things right that yeah have, yeah have been have been happening also in the in the us I don't know, I have the impression that maybe maybe they are thinking that they, they, they've gone too far and they need to, I don't know, recalibrate a little bit mm. and they might change uh, a little bit their tactics. For example, I think one relevant development re- recently by Vox is that, well, they launched this so-called 
Union, Solidarity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I think I cannot, uh, or I think we cannot take seriously as a proper union or anything like that. No, no. I, think, I, I think it's more like a sort of publicity stunt in the sense of, of uh, but basically, yeah, kind of realizing, well, because of the economic situation is going to get worse and worse, we need to appeal to a more like working class voter. Uh -huh. And maybe we are getting stuck too much in these like rich, paranoid people, uh, yeah. conspir conspiracy theory, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also very rich people that uh, yeah, became apparent, I think, in the demonstrations that they organized, right? the summer so i don't know maybe i'm they are trying to do something like that or trying to slowly recalibrate or or change a little bit to the according to the to the changing yeah land, landscape i don't know yeah and i mean i think it only only time will tell i mean on the other side of politics podemos haven't done i mean they've gone into government which was you know a, i think personally a good achievement but um you know, they, they've started going down in the polls a lot. Uh, and I think the poll I saw the other day um, actually just confirmed everything you said. And it, I mean, it was only a poll of, I think it was 2,300 telephone calls. But um, yeah, the PP were gaining, Vox were losing seats. Um, but also, you know, on the left, Podemos were losing seats and, and Pessoa were maintaining their lead. So yeah, it's... Um, Odd to see what the future will bring, but um, I don't think the radical right are going, or the far right, or the hard right, whatever you want to call them, are going really anywhere, are they? Um, they've always been there by the sounds of it in PP, and um, they're not going anywhere either. No, exactly, and that's that's why I mean I'm optimistic to a certain extent in in the short term, I guess, or or how. But of course, yeah, the, the structural and material reasons for for this far right emergence are still there, and mm. I mean, and and also, yeah, I don't know. Let's let's hope that well in the future, as we were seeing saying previously, I think uh, that also there may be. I think that the coronavirus crisis at the same time is so radical in uh -huh. a way that that it's also yeah it opens a lot of of questioning of, of very deep uh, functioning so of capitalism, for, for yeah. example. So then that that at least opens a, a huge space for to, to discuss many, many things. But at the same time, it's true that the public discourse is so saturated by other kinds of, of messages that uh, yeah, it's difficult to get through that and then yeah. put like a, a different framework. Yeah, but, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. In the end, of course, politics is about yeah, this correlation of forces. So maybe you you, mm. you can, uh, you, you for example, can, can be right about your diagnosis, but you are not capable or not powerful enough to to get your message across. So yeah. Then, yeah, I don't know. They're like, I think it opens a lot of questionings about yeah how both here I'm thinking now in Spain but also here in the US where I live yeah like yeah, uh, yeah how things uh, can evolve but then of course yeah it's uh, 
yeah, I don't know. Everything is very, very old. I think I think the the one thing that we ever mentioned as well though, that that will change things either for the for better or worse is you know how how capital responds to this crisis. Uh, and at the moment, um, and I've done a couple of episodes on this, um, and there's some good articles out there, is like how the EU are responding to this and how the PSOE are basically pretending that 2008 never happened and they're chucking a lot of the money at these big corporations that have caused a lot of the environmental damage uh, and now they're going to be the ones getting the money to reinvest it into green energy um, and uh, you know that's just I mean that and basically the EU are, are the money they're putting in yes I mean they're not changing their neoliberal economic model but they're they're putting a load, they're putting the money in that they should have put in instead of austerity. And, and they're basically shoring up the welfare state. Um, so maybe that changes things materially. I mean, that that you know, part a lot of people say the reason reason the far right rose was because of austerity, the same as the you know, Podemos rose as well, really. Um, but that will be interesting to see how the 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 injection of capital uh, really does affect um the mm. political landscape and 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 really for the far right as well because i think it's um you know most of the left other than podemos actually but most of the left bernie sanders jeremy corbyn syriza they've all they've all um they've all had their day and podemos is sort of last man standing and but the far right is still kind of there like even though donald trump lost Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I don't know. It just, um, yeah, definitely. Of course, all the the climate change context, uh, and for example, what in the U.S. for example is all the debate around the Green New Deal. I think that's crucial. I think uh, at many levels, right? And uh-huh. that's going to define, I think, the many of the. Of the political discussions in the in the coming future, that's why also and connecting this to the far right and etc. But um, and I don't think Vox has still has explored this yet. Hopefully they they won't. But uh, there is all this eco-fascism right uh, yeah. trend going on, and then yeah, that's, there is also that danger. Of course, that's why yeah, again, uh, it's about well just to. Well, being capable of, of, I don't know, building institutions and, and also waging a, a long-term cultural, in the deepest sense, uh, cultural uh-huh. war, war to change also yeah, minds and, and frameworks and, and, and ways of, of approaching problems. I think that's the one way to put it. But of course, I mean, in the short term, also we need I don't know victories in elections, yeah, and, uh, and other other things, yeah, right, yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking to me, Vincente. It's been no, an absolute pleasure. It has been really, really fun. I mean, it's really, really nice conversation. And thank you for coming on the Sobremesa podcast, Vincente. And if you want to hear the first part of this interview, then um, it's the last episode that I released earlier on this week. For February on the Sobremesa podcast, we have Catalan politics, uh, an introduction, 
And we also have a bit about, or a bit of a history regarding Basque politics. And throughout March, we're going to be dedicating the whole month to feminism. So if you want to hear all these future episodes and previous episodes of the Sobre Mesa podcast, then please uh, subscribe on your on your preferred uh, podcast platform. And if you can, give us a review uh, as it helps with the algorithms and it helps more people to find this podcast. So I will see you next week for Catalan Politics 101. I hope you have a nice weekend.